All right, man. Welcome to the intro for Crow Triple Seven Radio, episode uh, seventy. And Jason Lindgren is with me. We're going to talk about the eclipse and many other things. But let's do the whole words have meaning thing once again um, in regard to the eclipse, uh, because there was no moon. The moon does not cause the solar eclipse we just saw. We can prove it. Um, but let's take a random word like how, how about Protestant? Okay, it's a word so many of us say with regard to religion all the time. But in that word is protest. So there is a meaning that most of us overlook all the time because we just say the word out of habit, out of the way we've been taught to say it, out of what we learned in school, out of any number of things in our life that influence the way we use language. But if we take a minute to take apart that word, we recognize right away that supposedly the idea of protest was put into it. If we look back at the Protestant Reformation or the supposed history of the Protestant Re Reformation, we begin to see the, the protest idea. But let's move this all back over to the sky. We are told that the moon is coming in between our point of view and the sun when the eclipse that most of us just witnessed and that we've all seen endless video on happened. Um, truth is, it's not the moon and we can demonstrate it, but let's take a look at the words. We are told it is a new moon. Words have meaning. Why is that word new used? New has a meaning. Uh, it's not the same old moon, right, that we see all the time. As a matter of fact, when the early phases past new moon start to happen, the moon is referred to as a young moon. Well, why? Moon's been in the sky since Lord knows when. It's the same old moon, right? Well, apparently not. Apparently, we get a new moon, and then we have a young moon. Um, but for, you know what, I'll, I'll reiterate some of what we're going to cover here in the episode just to make the point early because so many people don't get through the whole podcast. We're told that the sun is an infinite light source. We're told that the sun is roughly 93 million miles away. I've heard 83 bandied about recently. Don't care. It's millions and millions of miles away. Let's use 93. So we have the brightest thing we can imagine called the sun, which is, we are told, an infinite light source at 93 million miles. We are further told that there is a new moon coming in front of it at roughly a quarter of a million miles. So that supposed new moon is backlit by the brightest thing we know about called the sun at 93 million miles. Fact is, if these things were true, we could detect the moon coming into the eclipse and after totality, after the eclipse has happened, leaving the disk of the sun. This is not the case. This proves that the description that we have been given is wrong, but there is a litany of video coming forward. Um, let me, shoot, I should have wrote it down. Is it Candy Star? Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll move on. There was a clip that was sent to me of people filming the shadows that were going on on the eve of their roof as the eclipse was approaching totality in their area. And what it looks like is exactly the same pattern that you get if you look into a pool that is disturbed reflecting on the eve of a house. It's identical. Um, I may contact that channel. I think it's Candy Star. I hope I have that right. Um, I should have wrote it down before I started. Um, I may ask them if I can run that footage. Uh, there is footage from Michigan that I just saw where the sun is overexposed, the eclipse is happening, and yet locked to the image of the sun, there is a reflection of the eclipse happening, um, maybe less a quarter of a degree away from the sun. Um, 
all this footage coming forward. What's going on here is before we reach the digital age, when things like this happen, we were pretty much at the mercy of going into our television or opening a magazine and getting whatever we were going to be shown. Well, the times have changed. We can all observe these things. We can all get digital video now, and we can review them endlessly. This is, in fact, probably the main difference between understanding what people thought about the moon landings in the 60s and what the majority of people who can actually think and walk while they're awake now think of the Apollo landings now. It's simple. We can review this stuff. We're not fooled anymore. We don't just get the three seconds or five seconds run on television with no way to record and have to take the word of what's happened uh, from the men in the white lab coats. But there's another thing about the digital age. The digital age is going to allow places like NASA to just pump out all this impressive imagery. Um, the last couple clips up on my YouTube channel um, take apart digital images. But there's the other side of that, which I am demonstrating for people, is that now that all these digital images come out, it is not so easy for people to fake it now. Even if they wanted to bust their butts and put every bit of effort into creating digital imagery, faking digital imagery, there are people out there who can jump in and start to detect that it's been faked. Truth is that most of it, it is so damn simple to take these digital images and demonstrate that they were faked. Um, in most cases, it's as simple as opening it up in Photoshop, opening levels and jacking the levels up one way or the other. Um, and you can see all the editing artifacts. My point is this. If we take the time to look at the words that are describing event, we will learn things. If we observe these events, we film these events, we look at the footage that other get of these events, and we scrutinize them, bringing common sense to bear and measuring it against what we've been told, a whole new picture begins to emerge. As we move into the digital age, we are going to be flooded with data. Point here is, for those who will take the time to scrutinize what we're being shown, a truer picture will emerge. Hopefully in 10 years from now, Maybe we can live in a different world where we actually understand where it is we exist, where we actually understand a truer description of what space is, where we actually understand better what is going on when a supposed solar eclipse happens. Because I'll tell you something, right now you do not know these things. You may have ideas, you may start to be challenging these things, but the truth is we don't even know where we exist. And the real shame in that is is if you don't know where you exist, how the heck can you know where you can go from there? Anyhow, this is a great episode, episode 70, covering the eclipse and other things. Let's jump in with Jason Lindgren, man. Cheers. All right, man, I almost forgot. Um, Candy Star is the channel that is running the water reflections being generated by a nearly um, eclipse nearly at totality. And then there is another one called, uh, shoot, I just saw it. Give me just a second here. Anonymous Individual is the other footage where we see the reflection of the eclipse, um, you know, right locked right next to the sun. And I did work to demonstrate it can't possibly be a lens flare. And believe me, my work on the lunar wave made me a bit of an expert. Um, you will see lens flare in the, uh, in the, video, uh, which helps, but you will notice that the image he is filming is locked 
to an overexposed sun. Uh, the time is known. It's been looked up. And uh, apparently the phase of the eclipse of the overexposed sun in that clip would be matching uh, the the reflection or whatever that is that we're seeing, maybe another object, who knows? But anyhow, let's jump in with Jason. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast. This is episode seventy. I have Jason Lingren with me. We are going to talk about the eclipse. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. Um, we're going to try to get Randy from Houston in on the second hour. Don't know if that will work out, um, but nonetheless, you know, Jason, maybe we should open up with a sing along here. Um, <laughs> I'm being followed by a not moon shadow, not moon shadow, provable not moon shadow. <laughs> Anyhow, welcome, man. Hey, uh, interesting topic we got going on here. Everybody had eclipse fever all, all day. Well, I mean, they ramped this crap up for months and months, didn't they? It almost, you know, I want to go back and look at that old uh, song, Black Hole Sun, to see if I can relate it to this to this event. I mean, I don't, I can't remember an event getting this much media coverage. Can you? No, I mean, it was pushed everywhere, it just Everywhere on Facebook, uh, Google had their their logo changed, and just article after article after article. Every every business I went to, I mean, they really pushed this hard, and I'm, I was just like, okay, is this that big of a deal? Well, it's message control, isn't it? Um, it was on TV. There were all kinds of programs running it live. We'll get into the nonsense Nova program that ended up opening with the Trump nonsense. They preempted the eclipse information and took up half of their special with the Trump nonsense. But we'll get into that when we get to your bullet points. Um, how was the uh, how was the visibility down there in Baton Rouge? Um, it was only about thirty five percent. I tried to check it out, and it really wasn't all that exciting. Like, I couldn't tell too, too much here. I, I put sunglasses on and then looked through my uh, my car, came factory with tinted windows slightly, so I was able to look at it without killing myself, but um, it, it really didn't look that, that much here. We're just too far south. Well, I was actually talking about the jet spraying, but I will mention uh, during near peak of the eclipse, and I will preface what I'm about to say, you shouldn't go out and stare at the sun if you're new to it. It's a bit like a baby eating a jalapeno. Don't do it. Um, you want to eat jalapenos, you work up to it. Uh, the sun is no different. I have sun gazed in my life. Now I will say what I was about to say. When I reached about the max eclipse, um, I stared straight into the sun till my eyes focused um, as, I don't know, we were 60-some percent covered by what we are told is the moon, which is not the moon. And uh, it was a bizarre thing. I have stared at the moon or at the sun many, many times sun gazing. And there was a strobing effect. And I heard other people who did what I did, and they said the same thing. Um, you know, because you start to question, is it just my eyes doing this to it? But other people got the same experience with a naked eye, sun-gazing view where you stare for about, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds till your eyes actually acclimate to the brightness. You focus in, you can see the eclipse going on, and the sun was just like strobing in the most bizarre way. But anyhow, what I meant to ask you was, did you have a lot of jets spraying up your sky down there? Oh, yeah. They started a few hours earlier and totally, like, I, I was looking through layer upon layer of crap when I, when I saw it. Maybe that made it easier to look at, too. But tons. Yeah, it was not easy to see. 
Yeah, you know, I was almost at one point I didn't think I was going to be able to shoot. And then I started rethinking it, thinking maybe I could make this to my advantage somehow. Um, I posted on the forum on Crow 777 Radio because I knew a lot of people were going to shoot there talking about this idea. But the strange thing is about four hours, roughly something like that before the eclipse, they started trailing across the ecliptic or the path the sun and the supposed moon take. Um, as we were getting into the eclipse, one or two high-altitude planes came by, sprayed a very non-persistent trail, and then the whole sky smudged out really, really quickly. But the irony here is while I battled with debris from jets the whole time I was filming, um, within under an hour of the, the completion of the eclipse, we had blue sky here. Oh, and by the way, Richard 205 Maria told me a similar tale up where he was. He said he had real trouble shooting uh, because of the, the, the debris and cloud cover. And he said as soon as the event was over, very quickly their skies cleared up. And, you know, I, I know you don't go on Facebook, but I do. So I was checking just what other people were posting and saying. And this seemed to be a very common thread. A lot of people saying tons of chemtrailing. A lot of times I couldn't see the eclipse at times, so for whatever reason, it seems that, that this was a very common thing that was done on that day. Well, you've got to realize, with the amount of coverage from jets that we had leaving debris in the air, it really messes with your ability to film. First off, focus becomes hard. Getting your ISO right becomes hard because sometimes it will be very thick coverage and then it'll thin out, and that messes with your image and your ISO settings. But to top it off, basically what's going on is they're filtering light. So the light coming towards your camera or scope or however you're tried, you know, is being filtered down. Um, so the quality of the images you get uh, is reduced, which is what happened in my art. But I will say, I have some followers that said, hey, man, I shot Crow, come check it out. Man, people are getting some high-quality stinking footage. Um, I've seen 4K footage. I've seen 1080i that looks like it could be 4K. I've seen people focusing out the sunspots that are just beautiful. So I guess we got to ask the question here, Jason. If I shoot in HD and all my followers, a lot of which who are just getting into this, are shooting in 4K and HD, what the hell's up with NASA, man? They shoot in LD. All we see from them is low definition. I mean, am I wrong here? No, and that blows my mind. You'd think that multi-billion dollar organization should have a little better uh, camera equipment by now in 2017, but I don't know, man. So let's talk about what we did with the screen share right before we started recording. I took... Three NASA images. I took the supposed International Space Station going through over the disk of the sun during the eclipse. We were told, I think they claim it was shot in Wyoming. I took the ISS in front of the sun, a supposed snapshot from the ISS of the shadow of the eclipse on the globe, and the new announcement that Mars has snow image. I took all three, and I just shared screens with Jason to show what I always do, fun with levels, um, which shows fraud every time. And I took apart each of those images. Not only are they all low resolution, but basically the International Space Station, in the article that Jason sent me, um, claims it takes years of planning and luck and all this other nonsense to catch something transiting uh, in that way, which is complete hogwash. They basically cut and pasted images and pasted them over the sun. Um, and the whole image of the sun itself, while it is a real image of the sun, it is also constructed cropped and edited. 
the image from the supposed ISS of the shadow of the eclipse on the Earth is one big fabrication. I just showed Jason that. You can see the edit marks all over it. And then, of course, anything from Mars. Um, I don't even need to look. There are no images of Mars in the way they're, they're showing us. But, I mean, what was your reaction, Jason? Have you ever seen someone take apart an image like that? Um, I, I just started recently trying to learn about those sorts of things because, I mean, this is what we're always finding. And you're one of the biggest ones I ever saw discuss these kinds of things, especially before I knew you. But yeah, it, what you you did was so obvious that, that this is just not even great cut and paste jobs. They're just putting things together. And of course, it looks fine when you're uh, just looking at the, the picture on a, on a website or something. But when you do exactly what you did, you dropped it in, just started changing levels, all the fingerprints of tampering just show right up immediately. Well, in the case of the ISS going over the eclipsing sun, uh, it's a real tell because there's sunspots there. <clears throat> the sunspots actually have a dark hue and a gradient to them, so they would fall apart more quickly when you begin to screw with levels. And what we see is a cut-and-paste job of little you know, black ISS images pasted in all the way across. Not only that, we're told anything in low Earth orbit's going over 17,000 miles an hour. I have filmed plenty of things transiting the moon uh, that cross in less than a second. Anything going at these speeds would cross in less than a second. I have even seen what was supposed to have been the ISS or that object that we see up there that they call the ISS across uh, the moon optically. It happens in less than a second. And so now they're p pushing a video out of this event, and it shows this meandering, slow little um, ISS going across the sun. There's a few problems with that from a technical standpoint. First of all, you'd have to be shooting, I don't know, 90, 100 frames per second. I don't know how high the frame rate would have to be for you to be able to slow that down and get a smooth little transit like that. But the truth of it is, is... <clears throat> If you actually could film what they are describing to you, it would cross the sun in less than a second. And I know this because we're being told the, the, the apparent width of the sun is the same as the moon, of course. That's supposedly how the clips works. But anyhow, Jason, um, do you want to get into things here? We got quite a bit of ground to cover. Yeah. So why don't we talk about the footage you shot? What, what, did, what do you think about the quality of the images you got? And um, did you see anything that's jumped out at you in your own footage and what you were seeing that was weird? Well, the you know, I got one camera was able to catch the whole event. Uh, it was a full spectrum camera. Anyone can go look at the clip that I posted on August 22. Um, but the quality just isn't what it could have been because of the jet spraying. Um, this became real problematic because of where I had to set my ISO levels and aperture and stuff like that. Um, well, ISO in this case, um, because what I wanted to do was try to show transparency to the disk that is covering the sun. Unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that with the images I got. Um, the other one was shot with a telephoto, and again, the ISO. It's, it's not quite overexposed, but it's on the verge of being overexposed, trying to peer through the debris the jets left. Now, with a lot of these things, there's always a bunch of numerology that goes in, and this eclipse was no different. And how much did you break it down, and uh, how much do you think that ties into the, the couple of little announcements we found being made at the same day uh, to coincide with all of this? Well, shoot, man. <clears throat> I should have made better notes on this. I didn't realize we were going to talk about this. But running into the eclipse, um, the commercials and things like the Denny's, 
you know, Denny's was running an all-day mooncakes, pancakes, all-you-can-eat for the day of the eclipse with the statement, because the moon looks so much, or the pancakes look so much like the moon, and they showed a pancake eclipsing the sun uh, in their ad. It was fours encoded. A lot of fours encoded is what I was seeing. And of course, um, that can be taken to mean the problem with numerology and gematria is you have to understand the intent to some degree of the people who are implementing it. Um, as an idea, you know, seven, you can look up the number seven and you can follow people who are doing absolutely fantastic breakdowns where it's being used as a mind weapon. That's the intent of the people putting it out there. Um, on the other hand, you could look up the number seven and find the exact other intent behind it where it's more fortunate and perfect number in this kind of idea. What we saw here was a lot of fours running into it. In my view, the intent is to encode those fours towards death. Um, we saw 44s and fours. Um, you actually mailed me something from one of your friends, which I found interesting, where he was breaking down the encoding he saw. Um, the problem here, Jason, is I haven't really just focused on that to break down the numbers that were associated running in into the event. Okay, so this is from my friend Wayne, and uh, he gets the uh, he really gets the the overall picture right here with the numerology and the eclipse. So he sent me this email. I thought you might be interested in some of my eclipse findings. Here it is. There's a lot of three and four encoding, as well as a lot of hidden symbolism. First, the path of totality travels from west to east, Masonic symbolism, with the last North American view being over Columbia, South Carolina, also highly symbolic, on the 34th degree parallel, threes and fours again. During the eclipse, there will be four planets visible in the sky, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and Jupiter. As Crow pointed out, the double four encoding is heavy. Double fours are the number of the master healer. Four is also associated with Mars. My predictions based on these facts are as follows. First off, it is possible that something unusual will be visible in the sky near the position of Mars. Or second, there will be a big announcement regarding the planet Mars. Or third, seeing as how Mars is the god of war, there may be a false flag somewhere on or near the 34th parallel within near time frame of the eclipse that may be a precursory event leading into a conflict. The master healer encoding may be metaphoric of being united against a common threat. I hope I'm wrong and nothing comes of it, but eclipses have historically been harbingers of doom and gloom. And he did nail it, didn't he? He sent me this beforehand. He freaking hit the bullseye with part of that, didn't he? So why don't you just go ahead and run right into the, the second bullet point here? Um, and I'll preface, you know, I had mentioned in my last podcast that on the eastern seaboard they were going to run a special on public broadcasting. Turns out I recorded that to see what kind of message control they were putting around the eclipse, and the whole first half of it was preempted with Trump nonsense. Go ahead, Jason. Take it away with Trump nonsense. Okay, so the first thing that got announced on that day is that President Trump announced a strategy for resolving the nearly 16-year-old conflict in Afghanistan. Now, I, I watched the majority of that video just to see if I can get anything out of it, but it was incredibly flowery, over-the-top language that said absolutely nothing. There was no mention of the number of troops to be committed, not even in a ballpark figure, uh, no specifics at all. So it was just kind of like a we're going to do this kind of thing. Uh, he, Trump spoke about his intuition, how when he first got into office, that he wanted to pull out and get everything out of there. But then as things have gone on, he, he's seeing things in a different light, that kind of thing. But that's all he really said. So it was kind of a, a, a nothing speech, you know, just, oh, we're going to keep doing what we were doing for the past 16 years. and But we're going to do more of it. Well, 
I, I mean, anytime you see a presidential announcement uh, in conjunction with a huge news event, you understand something is going on. As we mentioned earlier, I can't remember uh, a bigger news event running, you know, up to an event than the eclipse. And again, you know, your friends pointing out all these kind of truths were that people used to think bad things were going to happen and, you know, aggression and the planet, the war planet Mars. Well, that's exactly what this plays into, isn't it? First of all, it gets people's mood and mindset back over into aggressiveness, into war, into terrorism, into all this nonsense that gets constructed. So here we have the president of the United States constructing the perception that during an eclipse there's doom and gloom. But then secondarily, the prediction your friend made about aggression and the war planet Mars, I mean, it kind of fits this whole thing, doesn't it? Absolutely. It solely does. And of course, the second thing that got announced was directly involving Mars. NASA announced that they found snow on Mars. So there's no getting away from these things. When you can make predictions that come this close, um, you're, you're doing something. Um, you need to be able to do it over time. It would be nice if other people could do it in conjunction with you. But, you know, there's there's something here to be looked at. Um, and again, you know, I took the, the Mars images. What was it? Snow on Mars, the ridiculous thing they're doing now, where they're trying to get people to imagine a planet that doesn't exist in the way that you've been told it exists. You're, they're trying to get the seed planted in your mind to make it more like this place we live. Oh, it snows on Mars. So you're creating, you're fabricating these mental images and it's all based in nonsense. And again, I took the images of Mars and did the same thing with levels. It's all constructed imagery. There are no real images of Mars from space. They do not exist. But anyhow, um, back to you, Jason. And then I found a third event that uh, Matt Landman had actually put out. It's an article in the British Independent Online website stating that we are in big, big trouble in regards to global warming. Now, first and foremost, didn't they kind of ditch the global warming thing and start just calling it climate change and global warming wasn't such a big thing anymore? But then all of a sudden Al Gore comes out with part two to his ridiculous documentary of lies. Uh, and then now they're all back on the global warming thing again. Is, is that am I accurate there? Yeah, it's gone both ways. There, there's no doubt. But go ahead. Push through your point here. So, to quote from the article, the world has missed the chance to avoid dangerous global warming unless we start geoengineering the atmosphere by removing greenhouse gases, according to new research. Scientists used computer models to assess what needs to be done to restrict global warming to between 1.5 and 2 degrees Celsius, the limits adopted by the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. So here it is, man. It's fear porn. It is stage setting. It is any number of things, and it is announced on the day of the eclipse. I mean, there's no getting away from these things. Global warming is nonsense. We've covered these things before. But when you go out to film an eclipse and you see jets just filling the sky, and then you have people posting from all over the country and actually other countries saying the exact same thing, and not only that, you want to talk about climate control, weather control – as I pointed out, the eclipse ended within 45 minutes. We had blue skies. Richard 205 Maria up in New York said a very similar thing. Other people in other parts of the country. So what we see here is that they are geoengineering. We see the planes doing it. We've been watching the planes doing it since the 90s. And then we get this kind of nonsense um, out of Britain. Um, it's, it's beyond the pale, man. It's beyond criminal in my view. They've been spraying the air for a long, long time. They've been manipulating the weather. So this is all just tongue-in-cheek to me. 
Yeah. So anyway, they're get, looks like they're getting back on the、uh, global warming train, and you know I just don't want to hear this nonsense. But of course, they they announce this on Eclipse Day, and they're just it just all ties together. So yeah, there's there's no getting away from any time there's a big story in the news and announcements like this get made. There's a reason,、um, and I think your friend did a heck of a job breaking down what we might expect to see before the fact because looks like not only did he hit the target, but he was right in the bullseye there a little bit. So. Yeah, and and what that tells me is that anybody can.、Uh, what's the old quote?、Uh, With eyes to see and ears to hear, it's like if you know what you're looking for, you can just kind of throw it right out there and be like, "Well, this is what they're going to do. They're going to say something regarding this particular topic because this is the way the numerology works out." That's right. It's not that hard. It's just that the average person. Has been taught that there's no value in thinking that letters have a numerical value. People have been taught that the zodiac is nonsense. It's how we place the sun. It's not nonsense. People have been taught that the myths that surround the naming of our planets are all just pleasant stories for children. Not the case. There's information in all these places, and not only is it information, it's information that gets used regularly by the people who run our show. So there it is, man. Right. So. NASA also, of course, was、uh, in- heavily involved. In all this,、uh, they they had a feed going, which apparently was cutting in and out all the time. What do you what do you make of that, Crow? Of course, it's the same. It's the same playbook we see from the Chinese claiming they have a rover on the moon. It's nonsense, and the way they cover for this is by having equipment failure. So let's get this straight. We are now in the new cent- century. We're in the 21st century, and these guys can't even manage a live feed. I mean, come on, come on!、Um, if you hold a common standard to all the things we're told by space agencies, you begin to see the construct that it is. It's all message control, and this really sets aside that people like me, the followers who are interacting with me at Crow Triple Seven Radio, producing fantastic HD footage while NASA dumps out the door this low def crap. It's beyond the pale. At some point, NASA is going to need to be called out, and、um, I don't know if it happens in our lifetime. But at some point, all the people that come to YouTube defending NASA and regurgitating lies about the Apollo mission need to get a clue. And we're going to cover scientism in this episode for this very reason. But anyhow, keep keep going, Jason. So let me ask you this: since you're way more of a, a Photoshop kind of guy than I am, when You have you do things where you're manipulating images, and as you showed me before we started the show today, so you're shooting in HD, and a lot of the NASA stuff is in low definition. Is it easier to manipulate things in low definition versus high definition, or doesn't it matter? Or is it just that it's easier to smudge things, maybe because the the definition isn't there, or to hide the the amount of noise that should be there, like all that sort of thing. Yeah, so here's how it works. No, you would do your manipulation in the highest definition you could get your hands on. Then you would ruin the definition so that artifacts are introduced into the image, and it starts to be harder to see exactly what was done. But you can still detect the edit marks. As a matter of fact, I have an image up where I show that the Pluto images, or yeah, Pluto images are complete nonsense, complete constructs. But I also take a supposed asteroid image apart there. And show how they ran a blur filter in Photoshop, and you can prove it. It's not really arguable for anyone who knows how to use the tools. So, to answer your question, if I was going to fake these images and I was NASA, 
I would get the highest resolution images I could. Um, I would do a better job faking it than NASA because they get caught cut and pasting so much like they did with the, the Earth rise over the moon horizon. Um, it was flat out shown that they just cut the Earth image in and they didn't even get the size right. Point is, you take that high-res image, you do your cheating and your shenanigans, and then you dummy it down to low resolution because you're losing data. Basically, if you think of like a JPEG, which is a lossy compression format, what that means is each time you compress it into a JPEG, you're losing data. So if I took a decent resolution image from NASA that was a JPEG, opened it up, did something to it, saved it. Next day did the same thing. Next day did the same thing. Did that for a week every day. Every time I saved it in the JPEG format, it would be lossy compression and I would be losing data. And this works in their favor too, because what they do is they choose a lossy format like JPEG and they hand it out to the news agencies. Well, what do the news agencies do? They crop it, in terms of the ISS image supposedly seeing the shadow of the eclipse from space, I saw three different orientations, three different crops. So that means each one of those people took a JPEG from NASA, changed it, saved it, and lost data while they did it. You see? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a hell of a thing, but it doesn't it doesn't really matter. You can still demonstrate. Um, with these sawtooth kind of edit compression marks that there was manipulation done. And the way I demonstrated it to you was by taking a Canon and a Nikon image of my work of the Eclipse, running levels on it to show you what you expect to see, and then doing the same thing to the NASA junk. So, Jason, um, I know you just got a text, and it looks like we're going to be able to get Randy from Houston in here in a few minutes to talk to us, which I really wanted to do um, because he was out. And as everyone who's followed me knows, he shoots through the telescope. He's captured the lunar wave a couple times. Um, but I want to get this into the first hour. So before I get sidetracked, I'm going to address a few things here. As a stagehand, uh, back a roadie, back in the 90s, I was around stage lighting a lot. Um, lighting directors, people building or rebuilding lights, the um, actual operators and the guys who set up lights, I learned a lot. This got me thinking back in the day when I was in San Diego and it just kind of fell by the wayside. But when they started to announce during this eclipse the width of the apparent shadow that was supposedly going across the Earth, um, I got to thinking about it again. So I jumped in and I began to look at what's accepted by light physics people or the physics of light. I'm going to read something to you, which is lifted straight from one of these places that talks about the laws of lighting and the laws of shadow with different types of light. And this is accepted as hard, cold, unmutable science. Here we go. Adjustable shadow size works only with shadows coming from a point source, such as a spotlight. If you were using a directional or infinite light source, which we are told the sun is, they would always make shadows the same size as the object casting them, regardless of position. The reason I'm bringing this up, if I take a spotlight and I put it on a person and there's a wall behind that person, the shadow will cast a certain size. If I take the spotlight closer to the person, the shadow of that person on the wall will grow. What's being said here is that a directional or infinite light source, which we are told that's what the sun is, that's what the claim is that the sun is, so I'm accepting science's explanation that the sun is a directional or infinite light source, they would always make shadows the same size as the object casting them regardless of position. If we were to take this hard-cold science that I just regurgitated to you as true, 
That would mean that the shadow we saw from this eclipse, we are told, is 70 miles wide, which means the object covering the sun could be no more than 70 miles wide. That's what it means, okay? But there's more. Whenever you look at the NASA drawings or the space agency drawings of the orbital model showing how the moon is going to cast a shadow on Earth, it's cone-shaped. What this statement I just made proves that cone-shaped shadows are nonsense under the, under the conditions that we are seeing when the sun is backlighting an object. But there's more, and each of us can go out in the world and confirm what I'm about to tell you. Unfortunately, we've got to wait a few years to do it again. When I was in San Diego, one of the last things I filmed was a partial solar eclipse. I took it upon myself to get a 8-inch scope, an 11-inch scope, a telephoto lens, a telephoto lens with a doubler, a Nikon with 36 pixels on each of those things I just described, and my Canon full-spectrum camera to try to see if I could detect the moon going into the partial solar eclipse. I used every technique I knew with different filters, with light obliteration, which is basically using a building or something to block out the sun um, so that you can see what's next to the sun. Used every technique I know how to do. I could not detect what is we are told is the moon coming into the eclipse. Here's the rub. NASA is telling us that the moon is causing this eclipse, that the moon is coming in between our point of view and the sun. And by some miracle of Lord knows what, it just happens to be the exact same size. And there's a whole explanation from NASA about this nonsense. But here's my point. We have an infinite light source, which is the brightest thing we know in existence called the sun. We are told it is roughly 93 million miles away, although I think during this eclipse I heard 83 million bandied about whatever we're talking about, 83 to 93 million miles away, NASA is telling us this massive, brightest thing we can imagine called the sun is backlighting the moon, which is only, we are told, a quarter of a million miles away. If that was a true statement, we would absolutely be able to detect the moon coming into an eclipse. There is no brighter light source in our existence than the sun that we know of. Um, and it is backlighting from a hell of a long ways away by their model, the moon. So it proves the falsehood. But even if we were to throw out the NASA model, say the orbital model is nonsense, which I do all the time, and something else is going on, it does not excuse the fact that we have a sun that is apparently being covered by something that cannot be detected coming in to the eclipse. Now, I looked this up. And there are some claims from some of the space agencies that if what they call the moon doing the eclipsing here um, is low enough and in a certain position, you can detect it. Problem here is I couldn't find any images of it, and it's just hearsay. It's like a hybrid eclipse. It's just made up nonsense until we have something to prove it out. So I wanted to get all that out there on the table in the first hour so the majority of people can chew on the things I have just said. But in essence, what I have just told you first of all, proves the NASA models a fraud. Secondarily, proves it is not the moon at all that is going between us and what we call the sun. And unfortunately, people did send me some images where it looks like whatever is covering the sun is a bit see-through, um, but we need to do more work on that. But it doesn't matter. I have seen the images from the past eclipse where you can see the limb of the sun through what we were told is the moon. Something else is going on. I will close before we get out to Randy here with this. A lot of people are coming up with the idea of nodes. This is an old Vedic astrology idea, I believe. Um, Rahu, Ketu, these ideas. 
I don't know that much about it, but I do know this. People out there challenging what we've been told are on the right track. So people talking about nodes, good on you. Go for it. Prove something. Demonstrate something. All I can tell you is that the NASA model is incorrect. It is a lie. And the moon is not, in fact, involved in the solar eclipses we see in any way, shape, or form, and it's provable. So there it is. It was a mouthful, Jason, but back over to you. Do you want to cover anything more or do you want to get Randy in here? Basically, what all this sounds like to me is that even though to the naked eye it looks like the mainstream model is what's going on, once you start breaking it down, again, we just see massive inconsistencies. Would that, would that be the boiled down version of it? If you want to take the simplest part of what I said, um, the physics of lighting says that directional or infinite lights would always make shadows the same size of the uh, object regardless of position. There it is. That's the sun we are told. Second thing, the moon or what they are telling us is the moon is backlit by the damn sun and you can't see it until it breaks the limb of the sun. There it is. These are not arguable points. This is what the the world accepts as reality. What the problem here is we're replacing with what we accept as reality with this notion that we've been told the truth by the men in the white lab coats and in fact, we have not been told the truth by these people. Now, since we're about to get Randy in here, let me throw this last question out here. Do you think that say an agency like NASA has a much better idea of what reality really is and they're just completely obfuscating it from the masses? Of course. When you go out to launch a rocket knowing full well it's not going to space, when you release images of all this stuff from space, even the blue marble images claiming that you pointed a Hasselblad from space at Earth, which are all lies, it proves that they know the reality of things. Um, they know why they can't get out to space. They are faking that they're in space all the time. They're hiding the actuality of where we live. They're hiding the true description of space. They're hiding whatever that hard, fast boundary above our low Earth orbit seems to be. Um, they're, they're, you know, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have a reason to lie unless you were covering something up. You know, it's that simple. And that's the way I feel about it as well. I don't know what's really going on, but there are just too many inconsistencies for it to be the straightforward narrative as it's being delivered to us. Something's wrong. I don't know exactly what it is, but something is definitely wrong. It, you know, it's it's funny how we, we are a gullible breed. Human beings are a gullible, stinking breed, and science plays a big role in it because the minute someone says science, all of a sudden, all questions are off the table. Here it is. Lord God Bufu has made a dictate. Here comes the science. You can't argue it. And I'm here to tell you, you damn well better argue it. You can make math describe anything you want. You can use mathematical formulas to look at a cup that is half full and tell everyone it is empty with the mathematical formula you have just drawn. You can do theoretical physics all day to make up all these amazing things that have no basis in reality, and yet your equations will balance. Science is not the be-all and end-all. It's a great thing to have when you need a, a car a refrigerator, an airplane. Man, it's great to have science when we need those things. But in terms of describing where we are in the world, I got news for you, man. Bad people got a hold of the playbook a long time ago, and they've been telling nonsense stories the whole time about where we exist and how things are working. But, you know, Randy can't hear us right now. We're going to call him in and we're doing a pre-record. So you watch. I'm going to ask Randy as soon as we get him on the phone what was the main thing he noticed about watching the eclipse action. And I'll bet you he brings up how come I can't see the moon. I'll bet you. Hmm. 
Let's get him on. Let's see if he does it. Come on, Randy. Don't make a liar out of me. All right, man. We got Randy from Houston on the phone. Uh, Randy, just so you know, you couldn't hear because we were pre-recording. We've got you in on your cell phone. I, I made a bet to everyone listening um, that that you would have made an observation. You just witnessed a solar eclipse. What is the biggest question in your mind regarding, regarding what you just witnessed with the solar eclipse? Hey, everyone, and hey, Crow, and hey, Jason. Good to be on here with you guys today. One of the biggest questions that I have is that as normal operation, you see the sun coming across the sky, and, of course, you can see the moon in most times. Okay, but as the eclipse was coming, I was up early in the morning, so the sun was still way at the at the horizon area and wherever the moon was. I never saw the moon ever, <laughs> even when it was coming across the sky. I was trying to observe. I had, you know, the uh, I had actually I was using a welder's shield uh, to block the sun so I could look, and I was looking with the naked eye. Never did see the moon anywhere. And in normal operations, you always see the moon, even in the daytime. So that would be one of my biggest questions is, so, is so, why don't we see the moon a little bit? So that was the exact bet I made before I got you on the phone, Randy. Uh, of course. And, and here's the difference. The difference between Randy and Houston, Crow and Rhode Island, is that we go out, we observe, and we question what we're observing. The majority of people are following the message control from NASA. But, I mean, Randy, that that what we're being told is the moon is backlit from what we're told is 93 million miles by the brightest thing going. There's no way in hell we shouldn't be able to see a moon if it was actually there, right? True, true. True, true. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it would seem to me, even even if it was getting reflections off the Earth back to the moon— because, you know, that's pretty bright. It should get some kind of reflections. So there you go, man. So did you did you get a chance to film or did you just observe? Yeah, I, uh, I actually had my 4K camera set up and uh, just put it on a tripod. And, and what I was doing, I would start it, let it run for a few seconds, and I'd shut it off or let it run for a few minutes and shut it off. And so I could get a kind of a time lapse of it moving across. Uh because I didn't want to sit there and watch basically like paint dry because it moves so slow, you know. So uh, I just watched it as a time-lapse type thing, and uh, uh, it was pretty spectacular because at one point I seen a flash of light come out from what appeared to be the moon darkening out the sun. Uh, I seen a flash of light streak out to the side, and I'm like, whoa, what was that? So when I downloaded to my computer, I watched it, you know, and clicked it one frame at a time, and it was like one frame, and what I assume would be the mass ejection of the sun somehow or another, because I was zoomed in pretty tight looking at it, and it was just a flash of light just zipped right out to one side, went right back in. And that was the only thing, except one bird flew across. I saw that. Uh, it was just kind of a shadow of bird flying through. But uh, other than that, that's the only thing I really caught other than just the moon supposedly coming in and moving right back out, you know. I would have liked to have caught, you know, like a lot of people in the area where you got the full blackout. I would have liked to have caught that, but uh, obviously we only got two-thirds of the blockage here. 
So let me ask you two questions, Randy. First of all, will you be posting the footage you just described? But the second question is, how was the spraying? Um, did you see spraying during the eclipse? And what happened after totality, after the eclipse was over, what was up with the spraying? To be honest with you, Crow, now this is what's a baffling phenomena to me, is I hear that you and a lot of other people say that you get a lot of spraying in your area. Here, zero. It was clear blue skies, except for the typical puffy blue clouds that just drift by slowly, right. uh, typical southern type weather. There was no no spring whatsoever, none. You know, so it was it was perfect conditions as as far as you know, uh, catching what I was catching. There was no spraying, no blockage, no nothing. And even afterwards, it was the same thing. So do you typically in Houston get a lot of spraying by jets or not so much? Not so much. Every now and then you'll see them come through. They'll zigzag. Matter of fact, this morning, now now this morning when I, I got to my first job, the sky had that hazy look, you know, choppy looking little clouds way up there, which you know that's what that was. Within 45 minutes or maybe say around 9.30, something 10, it had all blown out and cleared out. Right now, other than the clear blue skies and puffy clouds, uh, typical southern weather, man. So will you be posting the footage you described about what you shot during the eclipse on your uh, YouTube channel? Yeah, I'll, I'll probably uh, post it uh, tonight. I've been pretty busy the last few days, so I hadn't had really a chance to even get on my computer that much. But, uh, yeah, I can post it tonight. It's only a short clip of the, you know, flash. And uh, so, yeah, I'll post it. Or I can send it to you, and you can add it to one of your videos as you uh, explain whatever y'all would like to do. I can send it to you. It doesn't matter to me, you know? Either way, um, if you're going to post it to your channel, give us the name of your channel right now so everyone can hear it. Um, if you want to send it to me, I can run it as well. Well, let's do this. Being that you have a lot more followers and a lot more exposure, I'll just send it to you and let let it roll there. And, uh, you know, you can make comments on it, what you think it might be or what it is. And, uh, yeah, we'll let it roll like that. Okay, cool. So check it out, Randy. Um, Jason and I have to get through the rest of the first hour. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we uh, before we bid you adieu and move on with the show here? Oh, man, no. I'm just enjoying uh, y'all shows. Now, like I said, over the last number of months, I've been extremely busy and hadn't really got to delve into all y'all's information. But I jump in, I listen to some of it or a whole episode, and then and I'll catch up later, but uh, you guys are doing a phenomenal job. Uh, you, you're digging into areas that, that people have no clue where to start or how to look at it or even knew that it even existed. So uh, y'all just keep up the great work, man. I, I tell you what, you're a great team, and uh, I think you're enlightening a lot of people. Uh, some people won't get it, but I would say pretty much everybody is like, Oh, yeah, I see it now. That's how it comes to me. It's like, oh, yeah, there it is. You know, that's it, it, you brought it out in the clear terms. You don't try to talk over people's head or anything like this and use big fancy words. You just lay it out there as it is, the history of it or the non-history of it. And uh, it's, it's all good. So I would say you guys keep up the work and uh, people around the world let you know if nobody else loves you, I do. 
<laughs> well, hey, hey, man, let me say thank you so much for confirming the bet I made going into this phone call because I knew, I just knew that you were going to be of a mind that you would be challenging what you're observing. But anyhow, um, thank you so much, Randy. Anything you want to add, Jason? Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time out, Randy. We kind of did this on the spot, so. Yeah. Thanks for jumping on with this, and so awesome. Oh, oh another thing, too. I hope that bet is a barbecue dinner for somebody here. Crow <laughs> <laughs> has to come down and what we all yeah. need to have barbecue. Yeah. At some point, we'll have to do it. I'm so tied up with what I got to be doing here, but at some point when I'm a little freer, um, maybe we'll do some road trip shows or something. Heck yeah, man. Hey, guys, y'all have a great day. Uh, love and appreciate y'all and love the work that y'all doing. And uh, when you need me, hey, you know where to find me. All right, man. Cheers, my brother. Take care. Awesome. Later. All right. So uh, did I call it or did I call it, Jason? <laughs> and just, oh, to, just, to be, just to be clear to everybody, um, I spoke with Randy uh, two text messages uh, a little bit before the eclipse. He, I asked if he was filming. He asked if I was filming. That was the extent of it. He could not hear the show because we're pre-recording and Jason just got him on cell phone. But, I mean, he basically proves what what I'm trying to state to so many people, if you set aside everything you're being told and you make observations and you use common sense to draw conclusions about your observations, I mean, look, man, hundreds of people are out there saying, how come we can't detect the moon? And I'm here to tell you, it's because there's no moon there. But anyhow, Jason, where were we, man? Do we want to jump back into the timeline or what do you want to do here? Well, we, were, we pretty much finished up everything we were going to talk about the eclipse at the time. And the next topic before we start getting into some other things regarding the moon is going to be on what's known as scientism. So I think we should try to cover a little bit of this before we get into the second hour, don't you? How much time do we have left in the first hour, do you know? About three minutes. Let's try to get into a little bit of scientism. I want this included for the people who can only tune into the first hour, so let's at least broach scientism even if we go a little over. All right, so scientism... <clears throat> Scientism is defined as a thought or expression regarded as characteristic of scientists as well as an excessive belief in the power of scientific knowledge and techniques. But it is so much more than that. It, it, it's science that's become religion. In, in, in the worst case scenarios, it has fanatics just as serious and potentially dangerous to open-minded thought as any belief that comes from a book. True science requires you to go wherever the evidence is taking you, even if it may be disagreeing with your original hypothesis or thought. Well, to some degree, what's always struck me about the idea of scientism, which is absolutely a real thing that we can observe, is that in the construct we live in, it's almost like the the red-blue thing here in the United States, Democrat-Republican. What you find is most scientists won't touch religion, and most religious people won't touch science. So you can see the construct of it. But my biggest problem with the scientism we see today, um, and this is portrayed on some of the most popular TV shows that have been going on for, I don't know, 10 years or something, like Big Bang, is you have a lot of theoretical people coming up with the craziest damn things you've ever heard of, confirming it with equations and theories and calculations, and then trying to convince the rest of the world this is our reality. But what's even more is some of these things will not be challenged. Just recently, 
after this eclipse, I had a number, probably two or three comments on my YouTube channel where people who were clearly into science came in and said, hey, all you conspiracy people, why don't you go take physics 101 in junior college and these kind of derisive comments they make. So I usually don't comment to people like this, but I commented this time. I said, hey, all you science people, why don't you go out and independently challenge the Apollo missions? And I pointed out that regurgitating lies is not science. And this, case in point, in my view, is scientism. The scientific community defending the moon landings when any single one of these organizations, people or places, could go challenge what we've been told and demonstrate without question that no one has ever landed on the moon with the evidence we've been shown. Um, what do you think, Jason? No, I think that's exactly it. And, you know, people can call me a conspiracy theorist all day long, but the as you've come to know me, I'm actually quite objective, and I have a pretty strong science background. I read science articles and, and look into topics that are very hardcore science related. That's and and just doing the work that we've been doing for for months and months now is only expanding that knowledge. I have to look things up to make sure that I understand a concept. Uh, the transhumanist stuff definitely lent to that. I'm not just some crazy conspiracy theorist spouting whatever I want to shoot from the hip about. I I actually have a good idea of how real physics work, Newtonian and onwards, which. Newtonian physics does not work for everything. I think most people know that now. So, you know, I, I try to apply the, the most basic scientific knowledge I can to any of these concepts, and this is where we find these inconsistencies. So, you know, in one way, you know, I don't even really consider what we do here conspiracy because we're not making this stuff up. We do research for every single episode. What we're doing is challenging the status quo. What we're doing is saying, hey, man, all these things that so many people have accepted as true for so long, and a lot of it is from the science community, needs challenging. So if that makes you a conspiracy theorist, then I guess that's what we are. But in my mind, that's not conspiracy. That is actual science, where people challenge what they've been told to see if it holds water. And as an example, in this episode, I pointed out, Adjustable shadow size works only with shadows coming from a point source such as a spotlight. If you are using a directional or infinite light, which we are told that is what the sun is, they would always, always make the shadows the same size as the object casting them. This is from the laws of lighting. There have to be numbers of people in the stage business listening to this lighting directors, lighting designers that can come in and say, hey, man, I use these kinds of lights all the time, and this is a true thing. We can prove it. I've observed it. But it doesn't matter. These are the laws. This is an actual rule. It's not a theory. It's not a supposition. This is a stated fact of lighting. And so what that does is it proves that the cone shape model that we're shown all the time is nonsense. But what it further does is it demonstrates that we should be able to detect the moon coming into an eclipse if that was what was going on, and it further demonstrates the size of the object, the maximum size of the object that covered the sun. These are not arguable points. Now, can you come back at this and 
argue it and challenge it and discover other things or maybe show a new way, maybe you can. But what I've pointed out here are basically laws, they're rules. Um, and it really goes to show, Jason, scientism has become so overwhelming in the modern age that now they've even resorted to doing things like sending Anthony Bourdain down to supposed Antarctic to complain about how nobody respects science. Um, it's just gotten to ridiculous proportions here. Yeah, and maybe some people do say some ridiculous things, but the, but the bottom line is what we're doing here I wouldn't call it conspiracy theory at all. I completely agree with you there. What we're doing, this would be maybe alternative media. It's things that the mainstream would never cover because they're going along with the scientific mainstream community and just saying, well, whatever they say is gospel. And that's not what we're doing here. We are saying, hey, we see inconsistencies. Let's reanalyze any given situation. That's right. I mean, most of the time, basically, what we're saying is, should I believe my lying eyes? I mean, basically, that's what a lot of this comes down to. But anyhow, we are past the top of the first hour, and I really wanted to get in. We're going to cover Stephen, the magic computer that reads his brain, Hawking. We're going to cover Neil, my butt. DeGrasse Tyson, Bill Nye, and these other people who are basically the face of science and media. And I'm here to tell you these people are entertainers, and we have broken down what the word entertainment means. Jason, is there anything you want to add before we bring the first hour to a close? You know, a lot of people do look at those individuals you just named as, you know, I said that the, the words are like gospel. Well, these are the preachers, and it doesn't matter. They're on TV. They put out books. This is what they say. This is the way it is. And that's just not true. And good, hardcore science doesn't right. actually work that way. That's why the, the theory of gravity is still called the theory of gravity, because it actually, in fact, has not been 100% proven. It just seems to work for the current model. And I want that to sink into everybody. That's really, really important. Think about that. Yep, there's no getting away from it. And I would further point out, each of these people are actors. How much time on this show have we, you know, spent pointing out what acting is, what acting is for in the modern age? Um, I would estimate that on shows like The Big Bang Theory, the name that has been dropped the most is Madame Curie, Mercury Unveiled. Um, this is message control. And to, you know... It befuddles me. It befuddles me that people can watch Stephen Hawking with his magical computer that reads his mind and then answers questions for him. Neil deGrasse Tyson stepping out to tell us, well, the Earth is actually shaped like a pear. And don't even get me started on Bill Nye. But anyhow, this is where we're going to open up the second episode. Any last words before we close it down here? Hopefully you'll join us there, folks. We, uh, we try and give you as much as we can for the first hour, but the second hour... Obviously, that's the denouement of everything. That's where everything that we've been discussing builds up, and we really give the rest of the uh, the evidence to back up whatever the point of discussion is. So hopefully you'll join us there. Yeah, I hope to see you all over at Crow777Radio.com uh, for the second hour. It is available for members. Uh, we are starting to get a bit more popular over on the site. More people are taking time to come check in and see what it's all about. Um, we offer information there that you're not going to find anywhere else. We do research for a week for every episode. But anyhow, there it is, man. That brings us to the top of the first hour for episode 70 of Crow 777 Radio Podcast. Cheers. Cheers.